welcome to our first episode of Physiology by Physio and Inside the Boards podcast. Uh, my name is Greg Rodden, and I'll be your host. If you haven't checked out episode zero yet, I'd recommend giving it a listen to hear about the direction and aims of this new show. But the TLDL, or too long didn't listen of it, is this. Physiology by Physio is a brand new three-way collaboration between the teams at ITB, Physio, and my own podcast, Med School Phys. We are going to pull together some of the best clips from my physiology podcast, Med School Phys, and weave them together with complementary audio clips from the team at Physio in order to produce an innovative, on-the-go study resource for you, the listener. This new show will pack high-yield topics in physiology and pathophysiology for the USMLE and Comlex into bite-sized episodes that work well with your hectic lifestyle as a med student. So with no further ado, let's get started with our first episode, which will cover skeletal muscle anatomy and contraction. This first episode is going to be focused on skeletal muscle contraction. So to start with, uh, what, is the, what is the purpose of muscle contraction? Well, it's to move our skeleton um, so that we can interact with our environment, right? Now, one of those physiology questions that they love to ask is, what is the fundamental functional unit of a skeletal muscle? And the answer to that question is the sarcomere. So the sarcomere is made up of these uh, important proteins. Can you name them? Well, the two main ones are myosin and actin. So which one is thick and which one is thin? Myosin is thick and actin is thin. But we've got to know a little bit more than just which one is thick and which one is thin, right? So we know that on actin, there are these myosin binding sites. And those myosin binding sites are important because they allow the myosin to grip onto actin and pull on actin so that we can ultimately shorten the sarcomere itself. Additionally, there are proteins that help to regulate the interaction between actin and myosin. Can you think of their names? Troponin and tropomyosin. So troponin, uh, that sounds familiar, right? We think about troponin when we think of a heart attack and some of the labs that we'll be drawing. And uh, tropomyosin. So why is tropomyosin important? Well, tropomyosin helps to regulate the interaction between actin and myosin by actually blocking up those sites on actin that myosin will bind onto. And so how do we, how do we get those out of the way? How do we get the, the tropomyosin out of the way of the myosin head? Well, we have uh, troponin in the mix. So there are different types of troponin, but one of these troponins will actually bind calcium, and calcium is released upon muscle stimulation by a nerve. So do you all remember what, which troponin actually interacts with calcium? It's troponin C. So when troponin C interacts with calcium, it ultimately causes this conformational change in the whole complex and moves tropomyosin out of the way, and that ultimately allows myosin to bind to actin. And of course, this is only when we have uh, ATP available. 
Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground. Um, we've talked about a lot of different aspects of muscle anatomy and physiology. Um, and some people might be wondering to themselves, okay, why in the world are we talking about all of this detail and proteins and yada yada? And the answer is because each and every one of these components uh, can become damaged or defective and um, cause pathology. So let's go through a couple uh, important examples. One example that we didn't quite cover here is uh, the example of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. So I'll bet that most of you can tell me which protein is defective in Duchenne's. It is dystrophin. And dystrophin is important, but why is dystrophin important? And dystrophin is this protein that helps to um, physically link the sarcomere to the extracellular matrix, right? We have these sarcomeres that are contracting, but if they're inside of the cell, how in the world are they actually transmitting force? And it's because the dystrophin, along with several other proteins in a complex, is helping to uh, transmit that force to the outside of the cell and then ultimately uh, through a tendon and then ultimately to move a bone. So if that's the case, then you would expect there to be profound muscle weakness in Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And there is, um, but there's also many other uh, symptoms related to uh, progressive muscle degeneration. All right, everybody, this is Greg from Inside the Boards, and I'd like to cut in here and give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode, which is Physio. If you haven't figured this part out yet, we at Inside the Boards really do love what the guys at Physio are doing for the scene of medical education. Uh, first off, they produce this fantastic library of easy-to-consume videos, which cover everything you need to know about physiology for your classes and for the boards. But then they didn't stop there. They went on to produce two more libraries of rock-solid instruction for biochem and biostats, and their microbiology videos are currently in the works. So they're just super busy, and they're getting it done. But in creating new content, they didn't just like stay in their comfort zone with the old 15-minute long whiteboard-style video. No, 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 no. At Physio, they understand that while some topics are best learned by focusing on the underlying process, other topics will just require brute force memorization. So to meet the needs of their learners, the guys at Physio came up with a cool new hybridized learning style that includes both Pathoma-style whiteboard videos integrated together with sketchy-style picture mnemonics. And by seamlessly integrating these two tried-and-true teaching tools, Physio will help you to master med school. Make sure you stick around for the rest of the episode so that you can hear about the exclusive deal that we at ITB got for you, the listener. And now, back to the show. So, the next topic is to talk about the organization of a muscle. So... We know that the sarcomere is the fundamental unit of contraction. However, groups of sarcomeres ultimately form what? Myofibrils. And then myofibrils form into groups um, within what? Myofibers, right? And myofibers are the individual muscle cells themselves. And then muscle cells organize themselves into fascicles. And then fascicles will ultimately organize themselves into a full muscle. 
So surrounding these structures that we just listed, we have a few important uh, structures called the endomycium, perimycium, and epimycium. So endomycium um, surrounds what? Surrounds individual muscle fibers. Perimycium surrounds the muscle fascicles. And then the epimycium surrounds the entire muscle itself. And one important thing to remember about the perimycium is that something courses within the perimycium. Well, it's actually the blood vessels and nerves that help to supply the muscle. Okay, here's where we'll have our first transition to physio content. They occasionally reference figures which are in the videos, but he does a great job of verbally explaining what's going on. If you're really having trouble picturing it, try a quick Google Images search for the Golgi tendon organ, etc. to help remind yourself of the context as needed. Okay, let's move on to discussing Golgi tendon organs, or GTOs. This is figure 9.5 from your text, which illustrates the Golgi tendon organ physiology. Golgi tendon organs, or GTOs, are an important part of the negative feedback mechanism whereby an excessively stretched muscle can cause forced relaxation. From the image, we can see the GTO, or Golgi tendon organ, right here. Notice how it's located between the muscle-tendon junction, so the tendon and the muscle. The GTO is innervated by sensory axons called type 1B sensory axons, which convey stretch-related information specific to the GTO. There are also type 1A sensory axons and type 2 sensory axons, which sense things like proprioception and changes in velocity, but these are not very high yield for step 1. For step 1, it's most important to know that the GTO is innervated by type 1B sensory axons, which send stretch-related information to an interneuron within the spinal cord. From the image, we can see the interneuron right here. Notice how the neuron is an inhibitory interneuron. This is because it inhibits the alpha motor neuron, which normally is responsible for causing muscle contraction. So in summary, when a muscle contracts excessively, the tension that is generated is transmitted to the tendon, which causes activation of the GTO. The GTO sends sensory information to the spinal cord via type 1B sensory axons. These then synapse on and activate the inhibitory interneuron, which ultimately inhibits the alpha motor neuron. The net effect of activation of the GTO is an involuntary inhibition of muscle contraction. So it causes forced muscle relaxation. Okay, let's do a question. A man is involved in an extremely intense arm wrestle when his arm suddenly relaxes. Explain the physiologic pathway that caused his arm to suddenly relax. Okay, let's pull up figure 9.5 so you can see what's going on. From figure 9.5, we can see that an intense arm wrestle could transmit significant tension to the GTO. Activation of the GTO could cause sensory information to travel to the spinal cord through type 1B sensory axons. These synapse on the inhibitory interneuron, which inhibits the alpha motor neuron, ultimately resulting in forced relaxation of the corresponding muscle. So the intense arm wrestle activated the GTO, 
causing this individual's arm to suddenly and involuntarily relax. Okay, let's move on to muscle fiber types. Within muscle, there are two types of muscle fibers you need to be familiar with for step one. These include slow twitch, or type one muscle fibers, and fast twitch, or type two muscle fibers. Slow twitch muscle fibers are primarily involved in long-lasting, sustained force. Slow twitch muscle fibers are able to achieve this because they are highly concentrated in mitochondria and myoglobin. Myoglobin is a protein similar to hemoglobin, which carries oxygen. However, myoglobin is more abundant in the muscle and is able to pull oxygen from the blood and into the muscle tissue. The abundance of mitochondria allows for the continuous production and supply of ATP, and the abundance of myoglobin allows the muscle to pull in a significant volume of oxygen, which is necessary for the production of ATP. On the other hand, fast twitch fibers are primarily involved in short and forceful movements. While fast twitch fibers have less mitochondria and myoglobin compared to slow twitch fibers, they are able to achieve fast, powerful movements because of their ability to rapidly metabolize ATP. This occurs via anaerobic glycogenolysis as the muscle supply of glycogen is rapidly metabolized. Okay, let's do a question. Two experimental mice are conditioned on two separate treadmills over a several month period. Mouse A runs at a speed of two feet per second for five minutes several times throughout the day. Mouse B runs at a speed of 0.5 feet per second for long durations once a day. How will a biopsy of the muscle fibers of mouse A likely compare to that of mouse B? Okay, from the question stem, we can see that mouse A is undergoing short bursts of high-intensity training, and mouse B is undergoing longer but easier sustained training. From the previous slide, we learned slow-twitch muscle fibers are primarily involved in long-lasting sustained force. So, slow-twitch is involved in long and sustained exercise. We also learned that fast twitch fibers are primarily involved in short forceful movements. So fast twitch is involved in short forceful exercise. With this in mind, mouse A will likely have an abundance of fast twitch muscle fibers and mouse B will likely have an abundance of slow twitch muscle fibers. Okay, guys, and it's that time again for another quick plug for our sponsor. Basically, all I want to say with this one is go get a subscription to Physio. They will help you to demolish step one with their high-quality and cohesive conceptual videos, which are similar to the Pathoma whiteboard style, but these are also integrated with story-based mnemonic paintings similar to the sketchy style, so you can master all of the hardest stuff that you need to know to crush step one. Oh, and did I mention that a subscription to Physio also gets you access to their thorough yet concise textbook too? What this means for you is that when you're using Physio, you don't need to furiously take notes. It's all written down for you, so you can just go with the flow of the videos and reference the textbook later as needed. They really are doing great work over at Physio, so go check them out. 
In a few minutes, in the next and last advertisement for this episode, we'll reveal our exclusive discount code for you. But for now, let's get back to it. So the next topic that I'd like to cover is the contraction cycle itself. The contraction cycle can seem a little counterintuitive at first, um, so we're going to take it step by step. And the place that I usually like to start is thinking about what happens when ATP binds to that myosin head. So this is what you've got to keep straight. When ATP binds to the myosin head, that actually causes relaxation of the muscle. It does not cause contraction of the muscle, which is something that I always seem to confuse. Okay, now, ATP has attached to this uh, myosin head causing muscle, what? Relaxation, okay. ATP is attached, and then eventually myosin uh, has this function where it actually hydrolyzes the ATP. The myosin head can also be referred to as a myosin ATPase. Okay, now we have myosin, ADP, and phosphate all in a complex together. Okay, and when the ATP is hydrolyzed, it's the actual hydrolysis of ATP that will cock the head of the myosin such that it's in a position that allows it to do work. And that makes sense given what we know about ATP, right? ATP is this high energy molecule and when we hydrolyze it, we're releasing the energy stored within the ATP to allow the muscle to do work. All right, so now we're in this position where the ADP phosphate myosin complex is cocked and ready to do work. Then what happens is calcium has to come into the mix, right? And we said that calcium binds to troponin C. And when calcium binds to troponin C, that moves tropomyosin out of the way, allowing the myosin ADP phosphate complex to bind to actin itself, right? So once that uh, complex is bound to actin, the phosphate will be released. And when the phosphate is released, that causes another conformational change in this complex. And the conformational change that occurs is one that releases the energy stored in the cocked head. Right, and that's what that's the actual pulling motion of myosin on actin. So one way that I like to think about it is uh, like you're cocking the hammer of a gun, right? So when you're pulling the hammer back, that is the action of the ATP that was hydrolyzed by the myosin head, and then calcium comes in and binds to troponin C, and then that moves tropomyosin out of the way. So calcium is like moving the bullet into the chamber. And then when the phosphate is finally removed from this complex, the trigger is pulled and the bullet exits the gun or the muscle contracts. Okay, with this in mind, let's do a question. 
What underlying molecular abnormality is responsible for the stiffening of the muscles seen in rigor mortis? Okay, in order to get this question right, you need to understand figure 9.4 and also know what rigor mortis is. Rigor mortis is stiffening of the muscles that occurs upon death. The muscles stiffen because the individual is no longer producing ATP. And the lack of ATP prevents the myosin heads from detaching from actin, so muscle relaxation is unable to occur. Let's pull up figure 9.4 so you can see what I'm talking about. Recall from figure 9.4 that this step here is responsible for muscle relaxation. In other words, the binding of ATP is necessary for the myosin to come off of the actin, allowing the muscle to relax. So what molecular abnormality is responsible for rigor mortis? A lack of ATP. Okay, and the time has arrived for the big reveal that was promised. For ITB listeners, we were able to secure you a limited time 25% discount if you enter the code ITB25, as in 25%, at checkout. This code is good for 25% off your physio subscription, but it's only valid for one month from the time that this episode airs. So again, that's ITB25 for an exclusive 25% discount on a physio subscription from yours truly at Inside the Boards. And now let's finish out the rest of the episode. All right, so that's all the content that I have to cover for this episode. Uh, up next, we'll have our practice board review questions, so get ready to knock those out. So our first question is, a 32-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician's office and suspects that she is pregnant. Her first son died two years ago from complications of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. She is worried that her next child may develop the disease and wants to know how likely this is to happen. Her primary care physician correctly says that the likelihood of her next child having Duchenne's muscular dystrophy is A. 0% B. 25% C. 50% or D. 100% And the correct answer is B. 25%. So uh, the trick to this question is that assuming the mom is heterozygous, um, is a heterozygous carrier for this condition, um, and we don't know the gender of this child yet, there's a 50% chance that the child is a boy, and then there's a 50% chance that that boy is affected because Duchenne's muscular dystrophy is an X-linked recessive condition. So when we do the math, there's a 1 in 2 chance that this child is a boy, and then there's a 1 in 2 chance that that boy will inherit the defective X chromosome carrying Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. And that comes out to 25%. Okay, and that completes our first episode of Physiology by Physio. I am so excited to see where this project will go, so I hope you keep your eyes peeled for the next episode. If you have constructive feedback for me, you can email me at greg at insidetheboards.com, all one word. And if you check out the show notes for this episode, you'll be able to find helpful links to the Physio website, Inside the Boards, and to Med School Phys episodes. So keep listening, learning, and living it up.